DJ and PK, time to welcome in Steve Cleveland. He's on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Steve, good morning. Good morning. So I understand you have bailed on your beloved Fresno because while spring and fall are nice, winter and summer suck. Well... Yes, we're down at Newport Beach for about <laughs> a kid. nine or ten days. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we've been doing this for about 40 years. And uh, I went to school at UC Irvine, and I, I remember living down at the Peninsula, which if anybody's from the Orange County area knows what I'm talking about. And uh, and the rent was like, you know, whatever. I mean, a couple hundred, but this is back in the 70s. You know, you'd rent a place for $1,000 a month and put five or six guys in it and Whatever it rented for for a week is, I mean, uh, for a month is what it would, it would rent for for a week during the summer. So, back in the late seventies, early eighties, we started coming down with just a few of us, and today we've got, uh, oh, we got a lot of us, eleven grandkids, and uh, I have three children and their spouses, and so it's been fun. Good place to be. It's nice to be in seventy degree weather, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> to not uh, to not be dealing with the COVID. I, I, there's no. Apparently, the beaches here, uh, though they're not packed, but uh, everybody's everybody's wearing masks down here, which I was surprised. And uh, they've been behaving themselves, but uh, it's incredible the number of favorite restaurants you go to now that are operating out of their parking lots with tents. <laughs> hmm. So is Fresno 105 degrees right now? Uh, I think it's probably it's been in the 90s. Yeah, it's been in the 90s and hundreds. Uh, so. Uh, this is the time of the year, a good time to get out of there. That's for sure. Yeah. Hopefully, I don't go home and all my plants and grass are dead. <laughs> <laughs> so I had an opportunity to watch the Jazz play a little bit in, uh, in the t- a couple of practice games, and you saw Mike Conley be more aggressive and more assertive offensively. And I'm sure, as a coach, that's what you want to see. How do you balance somebody being aggressive? but not being overly aggressive to the exclusion of his teammates. You know, I got those conversations that you have to start with, and uh, and I think you're you're typically asking the player a lot of questions rather than, um, I mean, you know, what, do you, what do you think? What do you think your strengths are? Get them to talk and to kind of visualize what they could do to help this basketball team, and maybe what are the things you're not doing right now? What are the things that uh, you feel like, for us to be better that you can do having those kinds of conversation that narrative is really important because it gives a player confidence and anytime you lose uh you know a guy like Bogdanovich who's averaging 20 a game and you know shooting 50 percent from the floor and 40 percent from the three-point I think everybody understands that somebody's going to have to step up and Mike Connolly's played the game long enough in the league that I I don't think he's going to be offended I know he was going through some um confidence issues and so forth. But oftentimes when people are going through confidence issues, it's because they don't understand their role. And uh, there's questions. And so guys play hesitant. I think right now he sees with Bogdanovich out, especially that I I have to be more than a point guard here. I have to be a guy that can score, score up the wing. I need to be aggressive, taking it to the basket. And, uh, and we talked about this before, but I think you're going to see a lot of minutes where Mitchell go there, Conley, Ingles, and, and Clarkson are on the floor together. I'm not saying that they're necessarily going to start that way, but you're going to see a lot of minutes with them on the floor, 
So everybody does kind of need to know their role. Steve Cleveland joined us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So they're playing a lot of uh, young guys, and it looks like a preseason game, because even if it's a close game, the last eight or nine minutes, the stars are sitting, and, and guys who have been on two-way deals in the G League or whatever, they're getting to play. Is there? Do you think a player who's been in that role can possibly step in going forward here in Orlando, or these are just a few scrimmage minutes and those guys are all going to have to disappear? Or could one guy make the leap at this point? You know, I, I do believe that there'll be a surprise here. I, I don't know who it is. I mean, I watch – I mean, I, I don't really know these guys. In fact, I was watching and listening a little bit over over the weekend, and uh, <clears throat> I don't know a lot about them, but here, here's what could happen. And that and is this, is, is that go back to understanding what roles are and what they're to do. Who, who has the most courage to step into a game for two or three minutes? It's hard to play for two or three minutes and come back out and – go back in 10, 12 minutes later. But uh, someone in this group is going to step up and make a basket or two, is going to make a play or two, and I think at the end is going to differentiate themselves from these other new players. It it won't surprise me to see one of them step up, and uh, all of a sudden they're getting 8, 10, 12 minutes in game because of the circumstances. So, again, it's like, Understanding, you know, if I'm one of the guys, the new guys, I'm talking to the coaching staff, I'm talking to the assistants, what is it you're looking for? What do you want me to do? What, what, what would be my role? You know, how can I best help this team? And maybe they've already had all those conversations, but I'd want them to know as a player, if I'm one of those guys, listen, I'm ready. I, 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 want, you know, I want to be in a situation where I can help this team. So those kinds of conversations, uh, I'm, I'm sure, you know, anytime you're new and you're playing with a bunch of veteran players there's some nerves that are going to take place but not probably as much without a crowd there without all the noise with all the craziness uh it's more like a practice and we we players don't tend to get real nervous in practices whether it's a practice game or uh, in a a real practice so uh i can see not just with the jazz but throughout the league some unknown stepping up and playing well because there's not it, does, it won't feel as much pressure without the fans. I mean, there's pressure there. Don't get me wrong. Guys are trying to win games. But for a new young player, for a rookie or a guy that's, you know, is, has been traded, um, I think there's less pressure now than there ever has been. So, Gobert, we know, had wanted the ball more, wanted to be more involved in the offense. Is, in a sense now, is he putting himself on notice now that that's gone public? Yeah, he has, and I think that, uh, you know, based upon, you know, the second game, you know, obviously he, he got good looks at the rim. Let, let, let's not kid ourselves here. I mean, he's he's got to score at the rim. He's got to score in pick and rolls. You know, for him to all of a sudden start taking 10, 12, 14-foot jump shots on the baseline and doing things that he may think he can do and he has the potential to do, this is not the time to start experimenting with new places on the floor to shoot the basketball. Uh, do what you do, you know, get up there and whether it's a side ball, high ball, side ball screen or a high ball screen, run, sprint to your spot, look for the lob. They did that more effectively the second game. Um, they, they can, uh, this, this is a team that needs Gobert to play well. I, I, for, for them to progress. And even if it means taking a little bit away from Mitchell in terms of what he does, because I think Conley feels comfortable where he's at. 
I think Clarkson's very comfortable with the app. Joe Ingles is very comfortable. I think Donovan Mitchell's going to have the ball in his hands a lot, and anything he can do to to get the big fella around the rim is going to be helpful to this team staying there and playing a little bit longer than they might. Uh, can they? I'm just saying they can beat better teams if Rudy Gobert is scoring 18 or 20 points. If Gobert's going for eight, nine, getting his 15 rebounds. I don't, I don't think they'll be as good. So they've really, really got to get Gobert involved. In this. Now, when I say involved, that doesn't mean he's posting up down there and we're giving him ball fakes and keep counting it inside to him. He's got to score in the way he's most effective, and that's at the rim. And don't try to be anything else right now. I mean, there may be a day in his career that he ends up turning around and can, you know, drop step or face up and, and shoot a 14-foot jump shot. But I'm, I'm not seeing that consistently. He needs to be at the rim and everything they do, especially when Donovan Mitchell can break down people. I and mean, I don't think there's anybody Donovan Mitchell can't break down off the dribble. And as soon as he does and help comes, you know, Gobert should be there. And if he's not somebody, if they're packing it in, then one of those shooters will be open. So um, really important for Gobert to be a part of this offense, not in the sense that uh, he's got to get more shots. He just needs to run the system. It'll open up the things for everybody. So, Gobert, and PK and I have discussed this multiple times, if he's going to be 20.15 rebound guy, which would make him a big star in the league, which I think he desperately wants to be, and his credit, he wants to get those stats while his team wins. He wants both things. But if he's going to get there, I think he's got to crush it even more on the offensive boards than he already does. Do you think he's capable of that? I know it takes a lot of energy and it's a lot to ask in a long grind of an NBA season, but this is more of a sprint than a grind. How much better can he be on the offensive boards? How many points can he go get for himself on second shots? No, I think that that is a great insight because those are just there. They're hanging around, you know, and he, and he has to be more physical. But there, you know, and sometimes with that comes some, a few over-the-back fouls or those kinds of things. But if he could pick up six to eight points a game on offensive rebounds, he's around there, he's the biggest guy on the floor, he's the longest guy on the floor, <clears throat> that mindset is going to get him to 20 or 22 points much quicker than if he's just getting them off pick and rolls or free throws or those circumstances. So, no, I, I think that's a great thought. And, and it's something that probably the coaching staff has talked to him about and, and having those conversations. If they haven't, they should uh, because it's another opportunity – for him, not from a selfish perspective, but, hey, you, let me show you the ways you can really, really help our basketball team win. You know, we, we want to upset some people here. And I, I know they're having these conversations. I, I can't believe they wouldn't be. I mean, you're having conversations with every guy and what his role is and what he can do, and then asking him, what do you think? Can, I mean, you, you're not having that really open dialogue. You don't, you're not going to get better. And for Rudy Gobert... Uh, whether it's at the rim on pick and rolls, whether it's offensive rebounds where probably he, he could be better at uh, making free throws, those kind of circumstances, uh, get him to that elevation of 20 and 15 that not only helps himself personally down the road, but helps the team. So, yeah, I, I think it's another way that he can help this basketball team by being aggressively. And, and the other thing is this. I mean, they're playing small a lot. And it will be more difficult at times. If they're playing small a lot, uh, you know, rebounds are going to be longer and farther away because the ball's being shot from 22, 24, 25, 27 feet. He's going to have to rebound out of his area. He can't just stand around the rim. He's got to be really active, 
uh, and rebound out of his area. That's what great rebounders do. They rebound out of their area. That means you've got to be aggressive. It might also mean that he plays a few less minutes because there's going to be a little more of a fatigue factor. But at the end of the day, to, to be a great offensive rebounder, you got to be able to rebound out of your area. you got to go to the ball and snack to, and then take that thing back up strong. We hear in football, we talk, we hear them talk about how they scripted the first 10 to 15 plays. Do you ever do that offensively in basketball? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It wouldn't be 10 to 15 plays, but in my mind, I would have 10 to 15 plays. You know, and I have I had a little three-by-five card, and uh, we would have already gone through that in practice and pregame. Here's, here's what we're going to do, the first three possessions or the first four possessions. This is what we want to do, and I'd, I'd try to get the ball to guys in certain places and certain situations because I knew that when certain guys in the team scored early, their, their, their mindset got different. I mean, they had more confidence, and so I, I didn't necessarily want all my guys for their first shot to be a three-point shot. I'd rather have them get to the free-throw line, get to the rim, get fouled, get relaxed, make the first two shots. You take two free-throws or one free-throw. So, yeah, I did that with all of the players – and, and I think that not everybody needed to get a shot in the first two or three minutes. But there were certain players that I'd want to get off, whether it was an isolation situation. Because if you have streaky shooters, you have guys that are, you know, 29 to 33% shooters who are, you've watched make five or six in a row in a game and then miss that many in a row, the basket looks bigger once you've made a layup. I know as a player, I tried to make get to the free throw line, make a layup, especially if my, you know, let's say you get wide open threes and you miss two of them. It, the idea that I'm going to keep taking that shot, I wouldn't take. And I wouldn't, I, for a player too, I said, get to the free throw line, get to the place where, you know, get to get a layup, whatever, but get to the place where that basket looks twice as big as it is. And, and sometimes, especially when you go on the road, scoring inside, scoring early, uh, it, it just relaxes you. And and it, and it just it puts you in a completely different mindset. So yeah, I would script players all the time. And then you you know you've got a lot of things scripted from sideline out of bounds, baseline out of bounds. So you know all the shot clock thing, everything you do in practice the last fifteen twenty minutes usually is game preparation. You know it's time and score. Um, you know there's thirty seconds. We've got the ball at half court. Those are things that repetition, repetition, repetition that you've gone through. And guys know who's supposed to get the shot. And that, that's really important. Who's supposed to get this shot? So, you know, and good players will recognize if a double team comes, they'll, they'll throw out of it and someone else will get the shot. But it needs to be really clear who, who you know, we're running this to do this. And this is how this is going to, this is what this is going to look like. Now, teams have, you know, a defensive strategy, and sometimes they take that stuff away. But we always started games that way. And the same thing with out-of-bounds plays. We try to get certain guys. So I think every every coach does that to a, at a different level. But I, it was really important for me. And I wasn't – you know, we, we would run and push it. I had great guards in high school and junior college and at a Division One level. So I think people, if they were to evaluate me, would say, well, he – he did a lot of stuff in the half court. They ran, you know, sent some quick hitters. And I did do a lot of that because that's kind of who I was. And so my teams took on that personality as well. It didn't mean we weren't going to push the ball or get that, try to get the ball down in two or three seconds and get the best available shot. But, you know, I was, I was a guy who tried to find the strengths of my players and team, you know, the teammates 
and, and use them at different times in the game. But certainly early on, um, I, you know, I, I had a couple of guys that just struggled if they missed early shots and they lost their confidence. So I tried to get, I tried to get them confident real early in the game so that basket looked really big. How, how concerned should the Clippers be that they got five players who are not in the bubble or are in the bubble and are quarantined? Well, um, I guess Patrick Beverly's back. <laughs> Lou Williams. Oh, boy. That uh, that wasn't good. I mean, I, I kind of believe Lou. It probably is one of his favorite restaurants. And I, I don't think he was up to doing crazy things. But just the, the some of the choices some of the guys are making. Uh, they'll, they'll really mean – I don't know if Harrell will be back, how soon he's going to be back. But there are some questions. And, you know, you're talking about a team. Paul was hurt a lot this year. Um, you know, the, the guys took a lot of games off, and, and Kawhi had games off. They haven't had that chemistry uh, that we saw early in the season because guys have been hurt, and now we got bubble issues. So it's going to really, it's going, uh, it's going to take Doc's best effort to get these guys on the same page. However, that being said, the probably most competitive group of guys collectively, probably in the NBA when they're all together and they're healthy. Um, and, you know, it'll be interesting with a guy like Yakim Noah and getting Reggie Jackson, if those guys will have any impact on this team. Um, when they're healthy and they're together, and, I, and I've kind of been a Laker fan my, most of my life, it's hard for me, I mean, to not pull for Paul George because I coached him. But at the end of the day, when the, if the Lakers are all on, I mean, the Clippers are on all cylinders, you know, they're, they're going to be a tough out. I think the Lakers right now seem from the outside to be the most prepared and confident. And of course, a lot of that's because all we're hearing from is LeBron. <laughs> he always, he's always that way anyway. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the Clippers have to be a little concerned about the unknowns. But I think there's enough time for them to kind of resurface and everybody get there. Who knows? I mean, it, Patrick Beverly is a huge piece of that. Obviously, Lou Williams is is a guy that can score from anywhere. They, I mean, those are guys that got to play for them to win an NBA championship, as well as Rell. I mean, he, they need him. So none of these teams can play without key people uh, for any extended period of time and think they're going to have a chance to win an NBA championship. But, uh, yeah, right now for the Clippers, it's just, there's a lot of unknowns. Well, Steve, I've checked the forecast. It's going to be somewhere between 103 to 105 degrees in Fresno every single day this week. So I'm really worried about your lawn and your plants. Yeah, I know. I got my neighbors checking out. Here's the first thing. I forgot. I am in a new home now, and I have artificial turf. (laughs) So it'll only be my plants and trees I have to worry about. Well, enjoy enjoy Newport. You're in the right part of California in the month of July. That's for sure. I agree, man. Hey, you guys have a great day, and I look forward to this weekend. Thank you, Steve. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, joining us right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. And PK, I know you've had reason to be all over California different times of the year. You know, 72 degrees in Fresno in April is nice, but, man, I have been there in the summer, and it is just brutal. The air is so still, just sweating. It's disgusting. Mm. Ugh. Exactly. You don't want to hear it. You've been in Phoenix at 117. (laughs) It could be worse. But it's a dry heat. It's not a dry heat in Fresno.